Welcome back, everyone, to Phil's Recap and Review, The Sopranos, Season 1, Episode 8, The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. We're back with The Sopranos Recaps, or I'm back. Sorry, everybody. Anyone that's been keeping up with The Sopranos, Sopranos Recaps may notice, if you look at the dates of all these things, that there's been a big, huge gap. A big, giant, gaping hole in the middle of New Jersey. No, big, gaping hole between episode seven and episode eight here that's because of a little bit of conflict with my co-host matt who at least for a while is not going to be joining us because of life stuff and work stuff and just not having time to babble with me and watch episodes of the sopranos so i totally get it but so i'm gonna be here alone might have some guests along the way here to talk about some soprano episodes once joe gets settled in he's gonna be joining me as well but of course, whenever anyone's watching this, whatever point in time you check this out, I'm not alone. I have with me the motherfucking chat. Right now, I got my man Mo in the live chat right now and some other people popping in and popping out. Sorry for the lack of notice about this, but I've been rudderless late, lately and just trying to get a balance and surf the pile of waves of shit and get out here on a regular schedule. So I just needed to kind of pop the cork of getting back into the Sopranos. I've literally watched this episode probably like three times in preparation for this podcast, preparation H all over my ass, but I didn't actually get out here and do it. So here, here it is. And I was thinking about maybe streaming, watching it, but nah, Maybe we might do that for some episodes, but I just wanted to get the ball rolling again, talking about the Sopranos episodes in this literally no shit being one of my favorite episodes. If you even go back to where in the last episode, Matt and I talked about Down Neck, which was a decent episode, but not one of my favorites of season one. This really is my, I think all in all, it's my favorite episode of season one. Because of the focus on Christopher, who, as much as I love Tony, I think the type of person I am and the generation of which I come from, I can relate more on The Sopranos with Christopher, with his urge, his connection to pictures, his desire to be a filmmaker or be something, and then just sitting there trying to write a script and not being able to come up with dog shit and you read it back you're like this sucks i've been working at this two years and i have seven pages what the shit is this i mean because i have i have my talents but script writing is not one of them when i sit down and try to write something like that it comes off horribly and i could totally relate to chris burris he's like bashing on the computer you motherfucker we got the wonderful balance that Matt and I were talking about, about seeing some of those other characters too. Pussy, Polly play important, albeit small roles in this episode. We get to see the smoking hot Adriana in a couple of moments in this episode. And it's really beginning Adriana's character arc. Carmela, Carmela has a lot of great things happening in this episode. We have the FBI being a factor on this episode as well. And all of that whole Thing going on we have the reveal about tony being going to a therapist with uh, with livia and junior at the end of the episode there's a whole bunch of shit that happens in this episode this is a very big transitional episode in the season and in the series mainly because of the way we start the episode with that dream segment which becomes a mainstay of sopranos episodes from this point further we have other ones the big one when tony uh, has the vision about, I think it's called the test stream or something like that, where he figures out that he needs to kill pussy. 
uh, that Pussy's really a rat. We have the whole Kevin Finnery situation that we'll get to in season six, part A. So there's a lot of other, and there's a few other episodes I'm not thinking about. But to me, in a lot of ways, this is my favorite of all the dream sequences. This is something that Joe quotes all the time, the whole thing with the sausages. How do you like my sausages? So we jump in the mud, motherfucking chat. We got Mo and Tom. I woke up this morning and I got myself a gun, Tom. Yeah, Dre D'Amato is fucking, especially in The Sopranos. She's less hot, obviously, because she's supposed to be less hot on Sons of Anarchy. But just from a superficial nature, Matt, my my estranged co-host for this podcast, he is a huge Adriana fan. Like he's got he's card carrying member of the Adriana fan club. She is when when she looks good, it's hard to top it. And this is one of those episodes where she looks incredible right in the beginning with the sausages and stuff. And then we go to Edie Falco, who I have a strange crush on. And then we see her eating the sausages. There's a whole bunch of sausage eating. We get the callback to Goodfellas in this episode, too. Really such a fun episode of The Sopranos. Uh, Mo says, Chris was my favorite character. I related a lot to his drug problems, and many friends I had had similar fates. That's part of it with me as well, Mo. I can totally relate to Christopher's plight, Christopher's struggle, especially when we get on later in season six with Christopher's struggle about when he he's hanging out with a bunch of people that like to get fucked up and he feels like he's only cool or funny when he drinks a little bit. And then Tony keeps giving him shit. Why can't you just be normal? Why can't you just drink a little bit? And it just keeps driving him in circles to the point where you can say that drugs stopped, stopped Christopher or drugs were ultimately his demise in a weird sort of way. And and Kennedy and Heidi, I think that episode's called in season six, where our season six complete heel turn for Tony Soprano. If he, if you had questions about Tony being a good person before season six of The Sopranos, totally, totally destroyed any illusions of Tony being a good person. But here we are, just to set the th- set the standards. Here we're going to be doing these Sopranos recaps, and next episode will be episode nine. I'm going to go through it, finish season one, then I may do season reviews instead of doing episode reviews, like something be all of season two, all of season three, all of season four, six A, six, season five, six A, six B, and then go back and maybe do individual episode recaps on really interesting episodes like Pine Barrens or I just pulling that one on my ass or every episode in season two. I haven't quite decided yet. May skip around with that a little bit, do some watches in the other room. But if you want to join in the fun, get your dis- questions or comments in for the following episodes, or if you happen to be watching this live, want to get the questions in live, you can email me at I got issues, man at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at I got issues, man. You can also call and leave a voicemail or a text at 781-990-8509. And yeah, that, that's it. I'll try to give more notice for these Soprano podcasts in the future so people can be prepared for them and watch the episode right right before we get into this but these will can kind of exist in time they're not as important oh we gotta do it right afterwards like like the game of thrones or the walking dead stuff where we go on or better call solver vikings when we go on right afterwards so so please get your comments in or jump in the comment section below if you're watching this later love to hear what you guys think about this episode of the sopranos and soprano stuff in general any questions or requests for certain kind of soprano podcasts like certain topics or whatever, just please, you you can send them to me, throw them, put them on a rock and throw them at me as I'm running down the street. Just make it a small rock because I don't want to hit my head. I don't, you know, I can take a couple of blows to the head. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Yo, Phil, pause the podcast for a half an hour. I have a beer or whatever. I need to go to the store real quick. No problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, guys. This time of the podcast, I am gonna I try, I was trying to find something to to uh this is a magic trick. The podcast is disappearing. We are going to pause on the podcast while Tom goes to the store. Ah, we're, we're back. Well, that was a weird color shift that happened right there. Okay, so the episode, we're going to get into this. I don't know how I'm going to do these recaps. I didn't take recap note point per point. I'm going from a couple of really awesome websites that exist that have excellent breakdowns of Soprano episodes. Right now, for this episode, I'm going from something called the Sopranoblog.com. All credit goes to the Sopranoblog.com. I'm reading from their recap. I am not recapping this myself. I am a recap thief. I'm a fucking thief. It's horrible. Lock me up, motherfuckers. Take me away. Put me in recap hell. I'm copying this amazing fucking great content on the sopranoblog.com and also sopranoautopsy.com or something. It might be net, but two awesome sites would give you a lot of great details into the Soprano episodes and stuff. Cannot say enough good things about those two sites for some of the information. Ren Renwood. Don't worry, everyone has a strange, weird, milfy crush on Edie Falco. My crush from Edie Falco comes from Oz initially. That scene where her and McManus they they bang in the in the uh, the office where all the inmates can watch and stuff. There was something really hot about her character, our officer, officer. What the fuck was her name? It'll pop into my head at some point. Uh, but I really, I really loved her on Oz, and then carrying through. I always hated Carmela, but there is something oddly milfy, attractive about Edie Falco, no doubt. She's got a crazy, awesome body, and there's just something I don't know. I just, especially on Oz, she just has this like tough, no nonsense, bullshit attitude. She just seems like she'd be a great time to hang out with. I just got through watching all seven seasons of Nurse Jackie on Netflix. I have not watched any episodes of Nurse Jackie, even though I love her and I've heard a lot of great things about the show. I'm going to ask you a very stupid question. Is it worth checking out? If you watched all seven seasons, I'm betting you're going to say yes, Ren. But it's definitely a show up there with with Veep or two comedies from two actresses that I exceptionally like and I think are two of the funniest. Because I think Carmela is one of the funniest characters ever on television. And I think it's intentional. And I think it's the way Edie Falco plays her, almost in a married married to the mob sort of way, like the way Michelle Pfeiffer and some of the some of the women in that movie play the mob wives. And she really digs in. And I know initially in the casting of The Sopranos, uh, Milfi Lorraine Bracco was going to play Carmela, and Lorraine said, "I want to play a differentish character than I played from Goodfellas. Could I play a different character in the script?" And David Chase was open to it, so they cast Edie Falco, who was in the HBO family. And Edie Falco just she makes this show as much as Gandolfini does, as much as uh, Michael Imperioli or whatever. How do you ever pronounce his fucking name? I mean, it matches every every main character of this show make it, but even more so, this show relies heavily on the shoulders of Tony and Carmela, and she weathers that storm extremely well i don't like uh here we go i don't tom says i don't like carmela so much i think charmaine buco is way harder oh charmaine i um rosalia prio is probably my uh 
my biggest Sopranos crush if I had to pick one of the women on the Sopranos. It's a much better show. I'd feel bad watching the show. It's, it's not like you can go much further than Christopher for the guys. I mean, maybe some people can think James Gandolfini is attractive, but I don't know. That's one of the hard, if there's anything mildly hard to believe in the Sopranos, it's some of the times when people don't know who he is yet and these really 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 attractive women are way into tony soprano christopher calls about on it at one point he just looks like fred flintstone i don't get it <laughs> off diane weasley uh wellesley thank you thank you weasley it's not a it's not a character in harry P potter phil <laughs> wait is she is she ron's mother ron weasley's mother phil but i loved her on oz i thought she was a big part of the early success of oz so, uh, so everybody, thank you so much for everyone that has jumped into this live stream to check out this episode recap. Again, I'm sorry I didn't give any notice. So if anyone was following along, as I've definitely gotten some emails from people that are like, where are the fucking Sopranos recaps, you lazy motherfucker? So here they are. Let's not waste any more time and let's get into this. So I started watching Young. So uh, Westeros Will says I was all about Meadow. Meadow definitely got way more attractive as the series went on. I wasn't a big fan of Meadow early, early on in the series uh, from an attractive standpoint. But the, by the time that Meadow reaches Entourage and she's dating Turtle, Jamie Ling Singler is like really, really, really hot. <laughs> Yeah, I just watched Fargo and Narcos. What do you think of those two? Quick off topic. Haven't watched Fargo yet. Watched Narcos season one. Or I watched both season ones of those shows. Like both of them. Can't wait to watch season two of both shows. Excellent shows. Excellent programs from a production standpoint. I've heard mixed things about Narcos season two. And I've heard Fargo season two is better than season one. So I can't wait to get into those two programs. So here we go. Into the Sopranos. Episode eight. Christopher Baltasanti. Uh, this episode opens up with one of my favorite dream sequences and one of Joe's favorite lines in Sopranos history. We the Czech Republic too, we love pork. Ever had our sausages? Whenever we bring up the Sopranos, Joe will inevitably quote this line. In the Czech Republic too, uh. we love pork. You ever had our sausages? Ah! Ah! for cookie. Adrian. In the Czech Republic too, we love pork. Ever had our sausages? It's just so creepy as shit. And then we see Adriana taking down the sausage. We see, then it shifts to Carmela taking down the sausage. Someone points out in the Soprano blog that it might have been the only time we've ever seen Carmela in Satriales too, which is really kind of weird. So uh, the, the dream continues as Christopher sees all these weird imagery and he sees this guy, Emil Kolar, or as Christopher calls him, Email Kolar. The first guy Christopher kills in episode one. We see him kill him in episode one. And now we're getting into Christopher's mind. And this is the point, again, where I think The Sopranos really starts to stretch out. And we start to see that this episode got a lot of criticism from a lot of groups. And at the time, Sopranos was considered very hardcore, very violent. And there were a lot of people rallying against The Sopranos. But I think what this makes The Sopranos so great, why I think there hasn't been a true, excellent mob 
type thing since The Sopranos. A couple of people can give me examples where I might be wrong here, but I think The Sopranos broke the mold because it showed you all sides of it. You really get inside Christopher's mind here and how this is haunting him and this is getting to him and he cannot get away from this. And because he's not, he's someone that he is a, a, a square peg going into a round hole and they're bashing him, bash him till he gets through. Christopher is someone that has artistic desires. He looks at this in a more of a way of the kids and the people that watch Goodfellas or the Godfather and all these movies, Scarface, and wants to be those guys, wants to emulate that, can't look at it or watches Westerns and wants to shoot uh, rob a train or something like that. I don't want to just pigeonhole it on, on any particular thing, but, but there's movies in a way glorify gangster life or cowboy life. And it's no more an example in the Sopranos or in the Westerns, I think is the best example of it. Where people are just, they see that like, oh, I want to live like that. This is a great episode of the Brady Bunch like that, where Bobby Brady gets obsessed with Jesse James and, and the Brady's have to bring someone whose family was really affected by Jesse James. And it brings Bobby Brady full circle to realize that Jesse James isn't a good person. And I think the Sopranos right from get go. And I think this not from get-go, right from episode eight here, I think really start to play with that concept and really start to play with the thought that these people are real people. This is happening in the real world, but it's fucked up and these aren't people to emulate. This shit haunts you. It isn't glorified. But, I mean, it still is in the way that The Sopranos does it with sugar, where it teaches you lessons through humor and shock value of things. And it's David Chase's narrative about the normalcy of life. And Christopher says it in here. Doesn't that the normalcy of life sometimes just drive you fucking up a, up a wall? I think essentially that's what The Sopranos is about. What makes it such a fucking amazing series. Nice. Ever had my sausages? What's up, Phil? What's up, PCI? It's cool. It's like an anthology type thing like True Detective or a limited series. Love True Detective season one. That's another great series for best single, single seasons of a series ever. True Detective was good because of Harrison and McConaughey. It slid way down in season two. I agree. Stephanie and I could not even make it through season two. And I think in a lot of ways, HBO, Oz started it for me, but The Sopranos really casted it off big time into the mainstream. And I don't think we would get shows like True Detective and and Fargo and or even maybe Game of Thrones in a weird way if, excuse me, if it wasn't for what the Sopranos helped institute, I give a lot of credit personally for the time period that happened to something like deep space nine, even for these long form storytelling aspects. But the Sopranos was the, was the boat that brought all this shit over because it became, it became at the time it was called water cooler talk, but it became essential discussions. And again, this crazy scene with Christopher's nightmare is just so much of a part of what I remember of going, oh my God, what the fuck am I watching here? This is something special that you're watching. This isn't just because I hated, not hated. I, I mean, I like to kind of, but analyze this. I looked at it as the the wussification of Robert De Niro in a lot of ways. And I don't know. And I, 
so when a lot of people, when The Sopranos, the way it was described a lot as being analyze this-ish, you know, mafia guy goes to a psychiatrist. If you watch some of the early previews for the series, they were advertising it like that, more on the comedy side, on the Tony talking to a shrink, Tony doing this, Tony doing that. I wasn't sure what to take for The Sopranos. So coming into this episode, watching, watching this, it just really takes you aback to see what kind of depth this ep this series can go into into Christopher's dreams? Email Cola. Help you? So long. Oh yes, uh, and just uh, the Wire, Soprano, Sex in the City, built HBO. I like to give a lot of credit to Oz, but Oz was and remained through its entire run underappreciated on some level and kind of too out there for some people to appreciate because of how dark it was. Even The Wire, which was a very real show and spoiler alert, not specifics, doesn't necessarily end in the happiest way. Really en encompassed a show, I think, that unlike no other, that and got some of the fanfare and critical acclaim that it deserved as one of the best series ever written because it crafted a story a story dynamic without having a main character. I talked a lot about this on the Emmy stream the other night, pissed off about the Game of Thrones not having lead actors because they say, oh, it's a true ensemble cast. Or I don't know. Fucking bullshit. Game of Thrones has lead actors. The show is written in a way, in the way it's filmed, that there's certain people that are leads. Daenerys is a fucking lead on the show. Whether I think she's awesome or not, whatever. John, so a lead on the show at this point. So, so... But on The Wire, people can go on McNulty. No, McNulty was not the fucking lead. Maybe in season one, but by the end, he was not the god. The lead. There, there was no lead. Baltimore was the lead. Sex in the City, for whatever it's worth, worth. I don't love that show, but it was excellently done and created such a subculture around it that it's as important as any show HBO ever put out. So 100%. And The Sopranos was the juggernaut was the the baby was the thing as stacy i think said in the live chat i'm uh, peripheral reading here that that uh she canceled hbo after the surprise so this was the first show that people did that stuff people do that for game of thrones now too you you get hbo for the sopranos you watch the wire and you go holy shit what is this you watch oz you're like, i can't watch this what the hell? Oh, oh, Luke Perry's naked. Wait. Oh, oh God, I can't. Christopher Maloney's naked. Oh, I can't watch this. And Sex and the City was a show completely different kind of genre, but really had the same sort of le legend legend building or empire building success. And then you coupled a lot of really amazing shows that I wouldn't say are station building, but were still great, like Deadwood, Six Feet Under, really set the scene to lead into this new generation where Game of Thrones, uh, True Detective season one, hopefully a good season three will exist at some planet or other shows that have come out uh, the night of or whatever. I mean, anything that comes out, people want to say what you want to say about Entourage. Early seasons of Entourage was a lot of fun. Never a great show, but still fun. HBO always puts out great content. It's more of a rarity when they have a bad show or something. Curb Your Enthusiasm of, of a channel just giving, giving a creator the ability to do anything. HBO is probably one of the best networks to work for where they're just like, okay, you're the talent, you go. And it was so much that way with David Chase and what he could do with the Sopranos. They just let him do what he wanted to do. Midland, Texas, I'm in Dallas. Uh, like you said, Phil, it's, it's also how much they 
they are paid that determines if they're leads. Yeah, exactly. Lead actor, exactly, Ryan. And we got that whole thing recently where certain ones of the actors are paid a little bit more than others on Game of Thrones. Mm. That's a different topic for a different day. So let's get into the end of Christopher's dream here. Let me sub. Hold the mail. We're out of mail. Change my meat to Black Forest. I forever, I was confused by that Black Forest line. I thought it was some dark, weird imagery. But no, Black Forest is a kind of meat. Stacy, I agree with you that I think The Sopranos is the best series since, or Game of Thrones is the best since The Sopranos for HBO. I think they had a lot of amazing series. But The Sopranos, it was it was much, much, he tries to say must see tv for me to the point where i would break into people's houses just to watch the sopranos when i knew they had hbo and just sit there and and i don't know it was just really fucking awesome oh we got fucking devin side soprano at butthole here sopranos is a full fucking butthole of a show full fucking butthole of a show (laughs) and as we got further on the series i think everyone did want to see some meadow side butthole but yes, very great stuff. Sopranos was the best until Game of Thrones, even though a lot of the shows on Game of Thrones I liked. So let's get back to Christopher losing his shit, looking at Adriana, who we got to see a lot of side butthole on the show, and uh, especially taking down her sausage in this beginning segment. I don't know why. You killed me. Yeah, you killed What do you want me to do about it now? I want to tell you. Tell me what? You come here every night. You fucked up. What do you mean? Here's these. We're going to get into this later, but Pussy has the best response to this later. He goes, now, why the fuck would that guy want to haunt you in your dreams and help you out? You blew a fucking hole in the back of his head. (laughs) You think he'd come to you in your dreams and tell you you fucked up? That's how you know you're paranoid. You killed him. He'd want you to be fucked. He'd want you to be fucked up and sent to jail and getting all the big butthole. You know, that's it. Where did you find him? One in the table, three in my skull. You will have our sausages. Whoa, hey now, you will have my sausages. Get rid of these. And then Christopher reaches ah, underneath. Let go of it! And he gets grabbed by this fucking hand. Yeah, Pussy had the most logical response of Christopher's dream. Yeah, why the fuck would he help you? <laughs> Seriously, I don't give a shit. If anyone anyone ever kills me, I, I'm not going to... Patrick Swayze you and go, come on, help me, oh my love, thank you for killing me, I'm gonna warn you, you didn't hide the body good enough, touch these, I'm not gonna do that, fuck you, I'm gonna sit there and laugh, I'm gonna haunt you like the poltergeist, I'm just gonna sit there and go, "Eh, (laughs) actually I'm not gonna do anything because I'm gonna be fucking dead, but I mean if if I could Patrick Swayze myself or Bill and Ted myself, and go, dude, you totally Melvin Death, dude. <laughs> have you guys uh, rewatched the whole S- Soprano series? Yes, I have. Uh, I, I'm i probably on this rewatch that I'm doing right now is probably my, I'm going to say it is my fourth time watching the Sopranos all the way through, except for season three. I was... 
I got, I had a weird homeless sort of fucked up situation where a house I was living in was being sold and I didn't have any electricity or anything. I just had a computer at a charge and whatever. And I only had the Soprano season three DVDs for probably about six months. And that's all I watched. <laughs> it was, I was in some weird Pleasantville kind of like life existence where I was riding my scooter to work at a fucking dishwashing job to come home and watch another episode of the Soprano season three with some amazing Jackie Jr. performances. So I watched season three a little bit more often than the rest of the Sopranos, but for full watches, this is probably my fourth or fifth watch through. Welcome, Claudio. Welcome, Mo, Stacy, Devin, Ren every one of our friends that are popping in and out of here to join me really on a on a impromptu sopranos podcast here so i'm trying to get i'm trying to get pussy pussy my pussy or your pussy my pussy so okay so the dream world he opens up he just a really greatly plotted scene with christopher and all the weird imagery coming to play. We can pick that all deeply apart and really slow motion on the sausage part with, with Edie and Dre that, but, uh, but anyways, it goes from showing Adriana leading, eating a sausage to uh Carmel, which is weird. So there's also some shit. And this, I saw this on the Soprano blog, some weird shit with the number 34 and I don't even give a shit about that. So the main storyline around this episode, it revolves around Christopher's depressions, his nightmares, and ambitions, fears for his legacy, his arc. He, uh, in two separate scenes, put he starts going, I want an arc. He gets into this whole thing about, I want an arc, like Richard Kimball had an arc or something like that. <laughs> what? You mean like Noah? Noah had an arc? Christopher attempts to write a script. He wants to turn his life into a movie. Adriana holds him at one point and says, my little Tennessee Will Williams says she's never seen Christopher apply himself like that. His quote is, uh, Legend of Told to See Maltesante, I love movies, you know that, that smell on Blockbuster, the candy and the carpet smell. I get high off that. He wants to make his mark by making a movie script. It's so weird to think about the Blockbuster thing that was encapsulated. Sometimes these Sopranos things seem way out of touch time-wise. Sometimes it seems like out of time. But when it's sitting here, sitting there hearing him talk about that Blockbuster smell, and uh, it brought back nostalgia. They say smell is... is <laughs> So that's why I can remember every girl I ever about. I'm sorry, I had a Hannibal Lecter moment there. But no, the smell of uh, the smell is one of the things that brings back memories the most. It's the it's the closest to sense memory. So I, I definitely get that. There's certain things I remember about my past I only rem remember with smell. When I was living in New York the first time, I couldn't believe that there were really guys on the Soprano, uh, like on the Sopranos, Jersey Italians on the central casting on the subway. No, there really is. I know some people like that that just told they sound like these guys. I, I grew up with some of them too because of uh, my mother didn't always wasn't always what's that Axel Foley line? You know, I never I wasn't always uh, on the, on this side of the law. I had, I had an interesting childhood making making uh, drug deliveries and shit like that for my mom. My mom was a true 80s woman and took advantage of uh, the Scarface of it all uh, and the gambling. I was uh, I was selling football cards in uh, in junior high school and early part of high school. The numbers, you know, you pick four picks and then you win money, you know, that sort of shit. I got suspended for school, but my mom was proud of me because I made a lot of money that week. Oh my God, fucked up shit. 
Okay. So anyways, en enough paying you guys here. Tink, tink, tink. Be my fucking shrink for the fucking day, you little fox. So while uh, talking movies, Christopher makes a reference to Quentin Tarantino and in, uh, in, in that role, uh, James Gunn plays Quentin Tarantino in True Romance. It's possibly the part that landed in the job of Tony Soprano. He plays a ruthless mobster who nearly beats a woman to death. A recurring theme in this episode is Christopher Day is nothing to worry about when it comes to the federal indictments, although it seems Christopher secretly wishes another way around. Jimmy and Georgie, the bartender, reaffirm that Christopher isn't, isn't a made man yet and has nothing to worry about. Christopher becomes jealous when Falone, Brendan Falone's mentioned on the news, the guy that he's the one that brought. Uh, to introduce to Tony. And they mention him. They don't talk about me. Christopher is so brainwashed by the being a mafioso. Tony calls him on it later in the episode when he slaps him around. You got cowboyitis, Christopher. You want to be a fucking cowboy. I've seen it millions of times. He's so right, too. That's exactly what's wrong with Christopher. He has cowboyitis. He's he wants to be known. He wants to be a big bad guy, as Tony po points out a bunch of times. And it's really someone like Tony and to people in the real lifestyles like this. It's very important that there aren't people like this. There's a reason why in Goodfellas, spoiler alert, what happens to Joe Pesci's character happens to Joe Pesci's character because he fucks up because of what he does to Phil Leotardo. It's fucked up. It's people can't be, and especially in this, in the day and age that the Sopranos exist with all the crackdowns and the increased pressure of the FBI and all of that, it's really troublesome for Tony to have someone like Christopher under him like that. <laughs> well, Phil, that explains a lot. It's, it's funny being, it's, it's so funny being a made man. <laughs> yes, it does. Red. <laughs> oh, I, I remember the Axel Foley line. I, you know, as a, as a youth, I fractured the occasional law from time to time. <laughs> so after Christopher, we get into this a little bit later, but the butter being Christopher demands, Tony demands that Christopher and Georgie sweep the bathroom for bugs in the bathroom. A discussion about federal indictments ensues. The hair on Georgie's neck stood up when he heard Brendan Falone's name mentioned on TV. That pisses Christopher off even more. That makes him look like, they may like uh, Brendan Falone look like John fucking Gotti. Christopher tries to remind Georgie that he's the one who first brought Brendan around and Georgie confesses he had no idea. Then we get the scene, or actually before that scene, we get the scene in Russo's Bakery featuring Christopher. And we also see Vito in this episode before he was actually Vito. It's it's not shown, but Christopher does receive the number 34 as he waits in line too. Uh, 34 is also earlier in the episode. Once again, Christopher is feeling like he's not like gangster, not not feared enough. The kid in the bakery lets Vito skip in front of Christopher in line. Christopher escorts Vito out of the bakery, turns around, pulls down the gun, and asks the kid in the bakery if he looks like a pussy. I love this part. This is one of uh, my favorite moments. Let me see if I can find this and find the Christopher in the bakery scene. It bakery scene. It's it mirrors a a moment and. In the episode, sorry, it mirrors the uh, mirrors a moment in the episode that, or mirrors the moment in Goodfellas when Christopher's character, I forget what the hell's his name character in Goodfellas, somethingy, yeah, uh, jockey, shocky, or pocket. What the fuck? Ah, oh, fuck, it's gonna bother me, but he uh. <laughs> he shoots him in the foot. He does the little dance thing, like dance for me here, dance for me. Fucking what the hell is his name? 
South Philly was like that. I had a fantasy football draft, no South Philly mob hangout. Once I, uh, I wondered how many guys were whack there here in Texas. I swear we have Italians, the witness protection program spider. Thank Mo. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. Spot. Thank you, Mo. I was just gonna call you spider fucking spider. Dance for me. Spot spider. You know, you move pretty, pretty quick spider. I just love the parallel of, of this, the Russo's Russo's bakery. I'm trying to find it. Sopranos Russo's Bakery. Oh, because I have Dream up there too. Fuck you, Google. Be smarter than that for me. Fucking do it for me, Google. No, no, I'm not going to do a podcast of me Googling. That's not fun. Right now, what are you doing, Phil? You are... You are Googling? What? Don't Google right here. Stupid. Okay, I found it. Because <laughs> I'd much rather have Christopher Christopher tell you what he did. What? Oh, no, it's translated. Shit. Oh, no, no, that doesn't work. Fuck. <laughs> it's like tra- it has Russian, uh, Russian voiceover. It's Russian dubbed. Fucking asshole. His name was Spider. For me, it was all about Gandolfini. So sad he died. I, I think it really upsets me because I was I had hoped, I think a lot of people had hoped there would be some sort of continuation to the Sopranos, depending on what you think Tony's fate is. And I think they left it open because they were hoping, I think David Chase was secretly hoping that they could do more Sopranos in the future. He also wanted to keep it open either way. And also the original ending, which was to be Tony suffocating Livia to death after she testifies against him, couldn't happen because they killed Livia off because the actress died and all that stuff so he had a on the fly from the point of season three on kind of make things up as he was going certain points he had in mind that were going to happen things like season four's arc with carmelo leaving and all of that but ultimately the end of the series was going to be tony suffocating livia to death or killing livia ultimately So I, I think Gandolfini dying really put a damper because I think we would have got a movie, whether it was the trial of Tony Soprano with him having some flashbacks while the court case that was being put against him that at the end of season six came to a head. I think we would have gotten something more with the Sopranos franchise with Gandolfini doing it. And I think Gandolfini was starting to be more open to playing characters like that again with movies like The Drop and getting back into playing dark mobster kind of characters. Because he was someone that was such a nice guy. He was such, he had his own demons and shit like that. So playing characters like this really fucked with his mind. He didn't like to play characters that were violent and that sort of shit. But he was just so good at it <laughs> that it's tough that when you see him in, in, in more family movies and stuff. I think he sticks out and doesn't really do a great job. I think he was decent in that movie with Julia Lee Dreyfus that they were in together. But I think for the most part, he's always good, but he's better when he's playing a tough guy or a gangster or some sort of variation on that. I think that's, he's one of the best at doing those kind of characters. And I think he does have range, but I think he's so good at those kind of characters. It makes it difficult. It's the George Costanza of it all. Jason Alexander very well can do other things, but, seeing him play anything but George. I'm like, oh, that's fucking George. Look at George and Pretty Woman. Oh, God, George is trying to be tough. George is getting upset. George is getting upset. Uh, So it doesn't really... Certain actors that they're just so good at something that you can get that they want to do other things. But I think Gandolfini would have came back around again. 
coming back. You're coming back around again. This is for the Gandolfini of the sun. Coming back around. Sorry, that's that was that was awful. This is for the Gandolfini of the sun. Coming back around again. This is for the Gandolfini of the sun. So I wanted to play that scene, the, the Tennessee Maltesante scene of uh, Christopher in the deli. But all I can find is the Russian subtitle version of it. But so Christopher gets into it. He goes, uh, do you think I'm a pussy? <laughs> no, no, really, really. I'm, I'm curious. Do you do you think I'm a pussy? Can you uh, I, I won't get upset. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. Then why are you treating me like someone that's not to be worried about? And he goes, I don't know. I'm just being a dick for a dick's sake. And Christopher gets him. Christopher decides to use this opportunity to be funny. And and he starts shooting him in his legs and and making him do the dance thing. And it's it's uh, it's it's pretty fucking hilarious. Let's see if let's see if this is the Russian is still in Russian words. Twenty nine. No, here we go. No, no Russian. Christopher's waiting. I'm fresh. I'm in no fucking. Here we go. <laughs> I go to the front of the line. This car. Oh, so I could go out. Fuck your sister. Come back Saturday. I go to the front of the line. I said he could. Hey, poppin' fresh. I'm in no fucking <laughs> mood today. I'm next. Now get a fucking pastry box. You know what? Can I get you? Oh, it's all right, Doug. You let him go first. Nah, you don't make the rules here. All right, let me have uh, two Neapolitan loaves. You touch uh, a single fucking crust, you're going to wish you took that job at McDonald's. Fuck you. Okay, take a walk. And of course, that person in the cab. I'm back in 10 minutes. With him is Vito. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Come on. Get up. I'm not going to hurt you. <clears throat> what is it? What is it? Do I look like a pussy to you? No. I'm serious. Be honest. I won't get mad. No. No. So why the fuck would you give me a hard time and talk to me like I'm nothing to worry about? I I'm, I'm sorry. Get a pastry box. <laughs> Move it! <laughs> yes. <laughs> fucking Christopher. Such a fucking crazy fucker. Now fill it with cannoli, schwiedel, and Napoleons. This must have been so much fun for Michael Imperioli to play, considering the Goodfellas Spider stuff. Because he is he's the Joe Pesci. He is that character on The Sopranos. Next time you see my face, show me a little show res some respect. respect. I will. And then he shoots him in the leg. You motherfucker! You oh, shot my foot! Oh my god. It happens. It happens. Hey, you fucking asshole! It happens. And and I mean part of that is the, the what makes that so funny is the reference to Goodfellas. It's just it's hilarious that they bring that back, and there's so many referential things to Goodfellas in this episode, too. Goodfellas gets name dropped later in the dinner that we get with Milfi's family and all the Italian uh, anti-defamation stuff that we get later in the episode. Or littered throughout the episode. I'm kind of doing things out of order. I'm doing Christopher first. And and this is just the way the uh, this recap is spread out. But it's it's really 
this I love that the Sopranos lives in a world where these movies are big parts and that we see what these real people or that seem like real people in this in the Soprano world, how they interact and deal with that kind of media and how how influential it is on on them and on I think it's episode two where they're all obsessed with the Sills Sills Michael impression from The Godfather. And Meadow refers to that uh, when Tony and her are talking in the college episode when they're going back and forth about, oh, uh, do your kid, do kids in school know about it? Do they like The Godfather? No, they like Goodfellas, Casino more. They like Sharon Stone, Vegas, all that sort of shit, whatever. So it's very interesting. And I think that's one of the fun aspects of The Sopranos, that it's self-aware. And it wasn't common for a show at the time to be this self-aware, especially a show like this. There were other things that, again, tried it in some ways, but The Sopranos was, and then you had the parallel of having Tony talking to Milfi, especially in the early seasons, as an echo of what you were seeing on screen to reaffirm the points that were being tried to make in each episode. And even things that were littered in episode one about him talking about Christopher really pan out in this episode. I fucking love The Sopranos. As Magically Delicious said, one will always be in the discussion, will always be in the discussion and can always be an acceptable answer for best show of all time. I haven't made that list yet. I have a few shows that are in the mix of shows you can give, you can make that assumption of. The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, The Wire. Those are the four right now I'm willing to say. And I, in any of those, if those are your favorite show of all time, or you think is the best show of all time, it's an acceptable answer. I, there's someone else can throw another one out to me that maybe I'm not thinking about right off the bat right now. But I think without any of those, I could see an argument being made for and why it is the best show of all time. And I couldn't defeat that argument without saying, well, I like the character development of XYZ better, or I like the epic scale and the production value and the depth of character of the other one, or the depth deepness of the story arc, or completion of the story arc from beginning to end, or whatever. But to me, that's the that that's the Mount Rushmore of television shows for me. The wire, I don't the wire would be a tough one. I didn't it took me seven times to watch the wire to appreciate it. <laughs> or seven times starting it. But once you get into it, it's so layered. But I don't think it has the acting and the story structure because it's epi- it's not episodic, but it's it's mundane by nature. Because it's almost like you take a Law and Order show and you inject it with Teenage Mutant Mutagen and you mix it with with um, Mafia or under, Underworld sort of activities. And then you get this hybrid show that's a real look on what the world's like. And whether it's exactly real or not, they had so many real aspects of people that really worked in the, the Baltimore Police Department working on developing the show that the narrative of it feels so real to me on some level and so procedural that you can't help but appreciate it for everything that went into this creation of it. Am I as entertained in it by some other shows? No, there's many other shows that I'm more entertained by than The Wire. There, I have to be in the mood to watch The Wire and you have to focus in on it. But 
it deserves to be mentioned in a conversation for best series of all time. But do I like it as better than those other three? No, those other three, I think, are on a different level for me. Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, and Game of Thrones. And if I was making my top 10 favorite, The Wire would probably be down not near eight or nine. Batman, the animated series would be a higher than that on that list. Oz would be higher than that on that list. Um, maybe a couple of other things, but I just think the wire from tight around the corners, you know, whether I love it or hate it, it's just so good. It's so narratively good. It captures something that movies in different things can't capture, not having a main character. Baltimore is the main character. There is no main character. So, so I have a huge appreciation for that, but I like the Sopranos better because of the characters. The characters are more memorable. The individual acting performances are more moving. The story arcs, I like Game of Thrones better because of the, the characters are more rich and I like just the scale of it and all the depthness of the story, like Breaking Bad because it's fucking Breaking Bad. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I like all those shows better, but The Wire, yes, it is that good. Yes, Stacy. <laughs> it was a terrible show, but Blake Seven had the most stunning ending. The entire class, uh, Game of Thrones, killed it. Me to a top ten show. Sometimes, good point. I thought Vito came in as Ralphie C's cousin. Maybe magically delicious. So, so yeah, that, I just went on a, a wire rant, but because I, I never actually talked about the wire on this channel, it is. It took took me took me a while. Never watch the wire if you're tired. It's a show that you need to be attentive to it and won't listen to every single moment. It doesn't spoon feed you anything. Everything is layered in and, but it's real tight, real tight, tight as a fucking tight as an ass. Yeah. I want to do, I definitely want to do a top 10. Sometimes there's two big television top tens. I want to do top 10 favorite movies. And then I want to do top 10 favorite seasons of a television show. I think they're two different lists and so expect those coming probably over this winter at some point, pretty soon, some or in the fall winter time. I'm I am uh, I just need to make the lists and then come out here and talk. I'm almost done doing pre-recorded. It's all live. <laughs> Who's got time for that? <laughs> Who's got time to wait? <laughs> so okay, so uh, Vito comes in, Christopher, blah blah blah. Okay, Christopher's dream put him to the. The point of dragging Georgie eventually out to dig up Emo Kohler's body, now with a beard and nails, courtesy of rotting in the earth. Side of it sends Georgie running to puke. His guts out, Georgie, such an innocent soul. Christopher wants to move Emil to the Pine Barrens. Pine Barrens! Because he has a certain uh, warning in his dreams that he made a mistake with burying him. This election, along with Christopher's shooting at the bakery, sends Tony off the wall. We also, I kind of skipped over it, but we talked about it earlier. Christopher, Polly shows up at Christopher's house and kind of grills him on the house looking like shit. Great Polly and Christopher scene where you get to see how much Polly does care about Christopher and about how Christopher's being haunted at. They have this whole conversation about story arcs. Again, I wish I could, fi I wish I could find it. I wish I uh, prepared some more quotes, but it's uh, tough to find. Uh, Tough to find too many, too many quotes from episodes specifically online. Uh, so without, without effort, if I'm just doing like a simple, simple search without going, excuse me, guys, let me play some music while I do some Googling. Everybody clap your hands. 
<laughs> so, uh, and then he talks to Pussy. We talked about that earlier where Pussy just gives him shit. Like, why would this guy try to help you? That may- You're making no sense, Christopher. I fucking love, I love Deadwood. I thought it would, uh, I, I thought I would hate it too, but I, I had an ex that kind of made me watch it and I really appreciated it. Really love it. I love Six Feet Under too. I'm still not finished with Six Feet Under, but I think that's a great show. I think that era of HBO shows was the best era. I think it was just hit after or excellent show after excellent show in that particular section of HBO programming. Excuse me. What's that on my grease board right here? This is a list of all the people that have been supportive to the channel, whether with gifts, donating on Patreon, or donating with PayPal. Any of those people, I'm going to write Ren Renwood, Niche 100, Dakota Fire Club, Quinn Teagan, Apulia, Dragon227, Al Red Sox fan, Mayan Allen, Lewis Ray, Tim Gersh, John O'Reilly, Stephanie Z. Tierra, Team O, Preston I, Y, Bill D, Michael T, Just Being Nosy, Pete's Live Music, Critch, uh, Lewis, Sir Ulrich, Lewis, uh, Sam K, Carl S, Nicholas S, and Kyle's Fucking Chickens. Thank you to all you guys that have helped donate, help, helping the channel, whether donations, gifts, or Patreon support. That is the Issues Hall of Fame of Awesome People. So that is, that is what is on there. So, okay. So here we go. Uh, so Tony Tony picks up Christopher and just beats the shit out of him in the car. He's pissed because he thinks Christopher wants to get caught. Shooting a guy in the foot, digging up a body in the daylight. It's people that want to be caught. You have cowboyitis, Christopher. Tony eventually calms him down. And he starts to realize that Christopher is depressed, even though Christopher won't admit being a mental midget. They discuss medication. Tony asks if Christopher is considered suicide, but he denies it. And him and Christopher share a moment that really encompasses their friendship and their relationship on the series where they both find joy in, imagine those people shooting themselves. What an idiot, you know? And they laugh at it. Just feeling good at other people's misery. Perfect Tony and Christopher moment. And it's just a, it's a great acting scene between the two of them. And really one of those foundation moments for the greatness to come on the Sopranos with Tony and Christopher. So by the end of this episode, Christopher kind of snaps out of it because he gets a phone call by his mother who mentions that his name's in the paper and the indictments. And we get this whole interesting end of the episode where Christopher goes and collects all the papers to go pass, pass the ball out. And, uh, Amazing song, great end to the episode. Moving of uh, of uh, just Chris. I forget the name of the song. I wish I had that on me. I can look on some of my notes before, but it's very apropos of the of the moment of Christopher now being wrapped up in this over and over again. And there's nothing he can do to escape it. So that's basically the Christopher arc in this episode, showing how much he wants to be made, but how much he really doesn't, because his true desires are writing screenplays. And we get reference to a character we meet later, D-Girl, my uh, cousin's girlfriend who works for Tarantino, who's played by the actress that's on The Walking Dead that played that that woman that messes with Carol when they have her kidnapped. Uh, I forget her name on The Walking Dead, but she was on last season of The Walking Dead. Uh, we see late, later in, is it in season two or in this season? We, the D girl episode, I think it's in season two, but so that's the Christopher, Christopher part of the episode really is the main story arc in it. But we, we do get a lot of other stuff that happens in this particular S- Sopranos episodes. So, uh, 
here we here we go. Here we go, George. Here we go, George. Moving away from the Christopher storyline, there are quite a few first appearances in this episode, and it's just a really weird universe. They're all weird because we're introduced to them as characters who we see for the first time and later introduced as other characters, although never show up again and get replaced by other actors. We get Jimmy Petrelli, played by uh, Vinny Vela. Now, uh, he is Larry Boy Barisi's daughter's wedding. However, Vinny isn't created as Jimmy yet. In fact, he receives no credit in the episode. He would later resurface in season five as Johnny Sachs Consolietti. I so whatever. Next, we get the first sighting of Vito, though it's not as Vito, it's played by someone else. However, this character simply is civilian and obviously has no ties with the mob. Joey receives no credit and just just simply as bakery customer. No Vito in the Soprano universe yet. The first Soprano wedding reception we see and we plays out perfectly. It's Larry Boy Barisi's daughter's wedding. Larry welcomes Tony Carmel and Livia. Right off the bat, Livia is pissing fucking great pissing off the host are you still still have your gumar lorenzo larry breaks the news to polly that there might be federal indictments and i just love olivia just not giving a fuck olivia olivia has so little fucks to give it's so inspiring as a human being at th- sometimes Larry breaks the news to Polly that there's possibly some federal indictments coming down. This sets the crew into panic mode. In a quick meeting with Junior, the crew asks for some suggestions, and they just kind of ignore Junior, and they go, Tony, what are we supposed to do? And Junior's like, fuck you. Listen to me. I'm the boss. And and then Tony says something, and Junior piggybacks. Oh, that was my next comment. So also a funny moment in that scene where Pussy goes, oh, if I knew that federal indictments, I was going to have to go in the lamb. I wouldn't have given such a good wedding gift. And they, you see them all go into a quick, quick moment where they all go and get their gifts away from the wedding, the wedding bride and all take the money. And the wedding bride's like, ah, what the fuck? And they're, they all take the money and head off. Great moment. Great to see. The reality of their situation at this point, the Sopranos eight eight episodes in, we've been in this world. It's good to see that the FBI is out there and this to start to happen and to get some sort of storyline flowing. Because to this point, there are a lot of individual episodes, but really not an arc forming. At this point, we get this this FBI arc, which leads to the junior arc that happens at the end of this episode, which leads to Tony and Junior. I am am Italian or uh, I am... uh, one half my mother is like european mix you know kind of european mutt but my dad's full-blooded italian uh i don't think he was born here but he moved here very very yeah uh i mean i don't think he was born there but his uh parents moved here when i think she was still pregnant or something i don't know my dad too well to be quite honest but i do know that he is uh he is of italian descent so uh so yes yes and i uh grew up with uh Spent a lot of time with uh, with with an Italian Italian families growing up, so so yes I yes I am so I'm European hodgepodge and half uh, I think it's I want to say it's uh, Nap like the Naples area because their last name is was because their last name is Naples so uh, that makes sense that you get named what where you're from if I if the Godfather is to be believed so my family probably hails from the from the sunny peninsula near the Naples area is where my uh, <laughs> where where my where my blood comes from. Dun, 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 shaka, babakasha. 
Yeah, I do. I, I, I can't do that. The only fucking accent I can do, man. You, where's uh, where's our buddy Big J calling in when we need him right now to give us the real accent? I'm fucking horrible at tough guy accents. The best one I can do would probably be my Boston guy accent. And most of the ones I know in Boston, the, the gay story you guys are, they, dude, they talk like this. Ah, uh, fucking, ah, uh, we can fucking do it. I've been working here for 47 years, running numbers, smoking butts. Fuck, that hurts my voice. Yeah. You um, you guys wants to come here to get some fucking uh, yo. Okay, so the other day I was working at the fucking corner with this fucking motherfucker. He came up to me and he said, "You fucking little bitch, I'm gonna punch you in your fucking pussy ass, you fucking bitch. I'm gonna fucking take him and smack him in his fucking face, fucking douchebag." Sorry, that's horrible, horrible. Dude, I can fucking, uh, that's my fucking Boston accent, dude. Dude, I'm from fucking Southie. What do you want to fucking get from me, dude? I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. I'm, I'm fucking the, literally not the least fucking toughest motherfucker on the fucking planet, dude. Except for when I go into crazy fucking, uh, that's my, that's my whole thing. If I get into a physical situation, I just act crazy. <laughs> Have my voice go up. Hey, what the fuck you talking about, motherfucker? <laughs> so, so we get to see everyone kind of go into. Uh, we quickly introduce to Silvio, Big Pussy. They're better halves. However, both actresses in this episode are uncredited and really seen throughout season one. Eventually, we do get two actresses that play both of these characters, but we don't really get to meet them till later on. So Tony and Carmela return home and we get to see Carmela at the beginning of The Sopranos is far more culpable than Carmela at the end of The Sopranos and the way she helps. She's helping Tony out with the money, holding the guns. She's agitated at the whole situation. Tony asks her for his jewelry and she goes, not my engagement ring, Tony. And Carmela says, uh, I'm not giving you my engagement ring. You didn't steal this. Is it stolen? Tony goes, what do you think I, what, 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 what do you think I am? Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, fucking Stacy. You fucking asked for this fucking bullshit, Stacy. I fucking came from fucking hell up in a basket with Tony Soprano on my fucking ass telling me to get this shit done. He wanted me to fucking tell you something, Stacy. Tony wanted me to tell you something. He wanted to tell me, thanks for being part of Phil's motherfucking chat, Stacy. You the fucking best. You're the best around. <laughs> I want some fucking cheese balls and steak sandwiches. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. Sorry, you guys. Thank you, everyone, again, as always. That's tuning in whenever you guys are watching this. I am, uh, oh, gosh. I am, I am uh, doing a podcast. Oh gosh, someone said someone might be at my door. <laughs> so let me push, uh, let me, when I'm going to do this, everybody, this is, this is the break in the podcast where I'm going to get up and see if our ho house guest is here. <laughs> so, uh, oh no, okay. So no, I think, I think, uh, I think there is, uh, I think it's okay. Bada bing, bada boom, bada boo. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so uh, here we go. Let me let me get through this. No, should I push some music? Should I play some music and pause this shit? 
Let me play some quick music to pause this shit. I will be right back, folks. I'm just going to go check my front door because I might have a house guest arriving. This isn't the end of the show. Don't know end of the show. I'll be right back. music cut the music it's a fucking okay enough of that shit but a bing but a bomb fucking fuck you uh, that's basically i'm basically doing a really bad james khan uh godfather impression but a bing but a boom you, you take and you go but a bing but a boom done i was in the zone a second ago i'm out of it now okay so after a moment uh who do you think i am so we're introduced to Dr. Jennifer Melfi's family in this episode, including her parents, Joseph and Ada Melfi, and her son, Jason Lapina, and her ex-husband, Richard Lapina. As they're sitting around preparing to wait for dinner, Jennifer's son comes off as, he's one of my least favorite actors in The Sopranos. I think for the most part, they got casting well. I hate this kid, and I hate his line reads. I hate how he plays this. I never know what the actor's trying to do, whether he's trying to be a wise ass, whether he's really trying to whether he's really as dumb as he comes off sometimes. He's just like, what's a guinea, grandma? What's a this? What's a that? It's just the stupidest conversation the way he, because he acts as the idiot moment in there. And then suddenly he's really smart about mafia movies. And maybe he's trying to play it like a wise ass, but it kind of annoys me just the way the act the actor plays it. I never liked the Milfy son, and I'm glad they didn't utilize him too much. I just never buy his emotions. Oh, yes. I cannot wait to get to Ralph. Ralph Ralph has one of the lines that I quote most for the Sopranos. Tony, she was just a whore. Tony, I don't know why you're so upset over a whore. God, I love Joey Pants. He was so, he killed. I can't wait to get to Joey Pants. The season, season three into season four with uh, Ralphie. Yeah, my favorite was Tony. One of my favorite was Tony's mom. Funny episode. Funny thing, if you want to see the actress that played Olivia playing a similar kind of character, but a little bit different, she's on an episode of Cheers where she plays Frazier's mother on an episode of Cheers. So in the canon of Cheers and Frazier, she is Frazier's mother, and uh, as well. So it's uh, it's very interesting. She. Uh, I'm not going to ruin the episode, but it's uh, it's. I want to say it's in season two or season three of Cheers, and it's with uh, which is available on Netflix, and. Uh, a very funny episode where she plays Fraser's mother and uh, her and Shelly Long have a, have a very fun time interacting. Yeah, sopr- exactly, Claudio. That's the thing about The Sopranos that you almost forget a little bit about. It's the dialogue is hilarious and it, it adds this different dynamic and it's what makes the show great because story structure, they have their arcs that are really good, but obviously the show ends in a way that's unsatisfying to most. Not everybody, most. Not all. Two points, two uh, two cents for Devin. Copyright. Um, it's ultimate. Ultimately, you uh, 
it ends unsatisfyingly, but the dialogue, even right up until the end, is inter entertaining. It's it's captivating. Tony and Milfie back and forth, all of their stuff, everything that we get at Milfie's dinner here in the combination with the Soprano dinner family that we get is really some amazing stuff just from a dialogue standpoint and hearing how it's played out. And James Gandolfini is hilarious, like one of the funniest people ever on television delivering character, delivering dialogue. Incredible. And we're introduced to Dr. Milfie's family. They mention the Godfather, Goodfellas, and Sue. The family defends their stance as part of 20 million hardworking Americans who have given a bad name to the mob. The monster is given a bad name to. Throughout the episode, Jennifer's ex-husband Richard is trying to get her to drop patient X as she starts talking about patient X. And they just immediately know it's a mafia guy. One of the guys we're talking about on the television station. Drop him, Jen. Drop him. Can't help a psychopath. And that's a big dynamic of the episode, too. Exact magic. It's funny you said that. I was talking about that earlier in the stream. It was supposed to end with Tony killing his mother, but the actress passed away and they had to improv improvise the ending. And in a genius move, Tony decides to move all the stashed money and weapons to his mother's apartment at Green Grove Retirement Community. Car Carmela manages to get Livia to leave with a really funny scene with the two of them where Livia, who's sharp as a fucking tack, that Livia, knows Carmela's up to something but can't prove it and gets lawyered by Carmela into a free dinner, gets gets uh, waitered or whatever you want to call it. And Carmela just kind of manipulates Livia into going, oh, no, you want to eat at your favorite restaurant? Come on, let's go out. Yeah. Great scene between the two of them. And uh, Tony was, uh, it, Tony puts all the food in there. Tony stashed it in the lunchbox in a closet. The music that's played in this first episode, which Tony discussing his gangster life to Milfie, returns to the scene. Oh, yeah, in episode one, it's the same music when Tony is initially talking to Milfie about his gangster life in that scene with Christopher where he runs the guy down. Now, thanks to the federal indictments, Tony tells Milfie that he's planning a vacation, but he's not sure if it will happen. Milfie questions if his decision is based on what's coming up in the news. Tony denies it and states by his vacation claim. Eventually, the feds do arrive at Casa del Soprano with search warrants in the scene. We're introduced to special agent Dwight Harris, played by Matt Servito. Har Agent Harris is the only FBI character who's featured in almost every season of The Sopranos. The feds confuse Meadow and AJ's or confiscate AJ and Meadow's computer. However, they don't find any evidence in the house. This leads to the Soprano family dinner after Grasso, this certain uh, certain FBI agent, drops a dish of food and ensues this whole interesting dynamic with Grasso and Tony freaks out at him. And uh, we end up getting this fun dinner scene. Let's see if this works. I know those feds are doing their job, but it pisses me off the way they act. Well, that one guy wasn't so bad, Harris. Trust me, he was the biggest sneak out of all of them. It's all part of his little act. And that guy that broke the ball, he did that on purpose. Oh, I don't think so. He was just a klutz. What was his last name? Rizzo, Razzo, what? Grasso. Grasso. You think it's a coincidence they sent him? If he wasn't Italian, he'd be back at the office sweeping up. A stupid jerk. They probably frisk him every night before he goes home. Why? Why? Because he's a valentine of his name. That's why Grasso. I mean, what's he think? He's, he's going to make it to the top by arresting his own people? Pass the mushroom. He'll see. He'll learn. We have a vow. Effing right. And you'll be proud of it. Jesus Christ, you think there never was a Michelangelo. The way they treat people. Did you know that an Italian invented the telephone? Alexander Graham Bell was Italian. You see? You see what I'm talking? Antonio Meucci invented the telephone and he got robbed. Everybody knows that. Who invented the mafia? Oh, Meadow, you what? little... You... Cosa Nostra, who invented that? Who cares? 
Wasn't it Salvatore Lucano, better known as Charlie Lucky Luciano, who organized it five families? Lucchese, Gambino, Bonanno, Profaci. Is there something you want to say to me? <laughs> the look that Meadow gives him like right history, there. I just like history, like you did. I just like Can history, Can you just Dad. shut the fuck up about it? Oh! Hey. hey. AJ, did you know that John Cabot was- People's, oh, Phil, you inspired me and rewatching The Sprouts from episode one, season one right now. Do it, Westeros will. Fucking great. Anything to help us get us further into the year to get the Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Better Call Saul, Vikings, whatever your shows are. Sopranos is a great show to watch if you haven't watched it at all or you haven't watched it in a while. It still holds up and it's still just as entertaining. Remember Janice is trashing Olivia's house looking for the, uh, oh yeah, looking for the stash. We're going to get to that. Uh, soprano binge and beer night. I love how tacky and realistic Tony's interior was, a Jersey house. I mean, how you never... Oh, you never think there was a ma. Yeah. Hey, hello, Ducrona. Great to see you. Great to see you. Italian? Whoa. But he knows who that is. It's the famous discoverer of Canada. The Bank of America. You ever heard of it? One of the biggest banks in the world. Started by an Italian. The first American saying was Italian. Mother Cabrini. That's right. Is it true that the Chinese invented spaghetti? <laughs> now think about it. Why would people who eat with sticks invent something that you need a fork to eat? <laughs> Tony. <laughs> and there's something else I bet you didn't know. More Italians fought for this country in World War II than any other ethnic group. And I won't tell you about Sacco Vanzetti either. The two Antichrists that got the electric chair in Massachusetts? Anarchists. Isn't it Antichrist? There were two innocent men who got the chair because they were Italian. How can there be two Antichrists? There was only one Christ. So? And of course, Francis Albert. Francis Albert. Yeah, of course, Francis Albert. And they both smile. Frank Sinatra. Great scene at the Soprano house. And again, that's another example of how funny Tony Soprano can be when he goes off on a rant like that. Carmela just sort of smiles and agrees with most of it. Can battle him if, he want, if she wanted to. But really loves it when Tony waxes poetic like that. AJ at this point in the series is just kind of a yeah man, mini me. Yeah, 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 you motherfucker. But Meadow is the most like Tony when it really comes down to it. Tony says this many times in the series. She knows how to get under Tony's skin in a way that Livia does, but she understands and she's and she's because the way she's been raised, she has an entitledness about herself that makes her stronger and not need any of the acceptance bullshit that Tony needs from from Livia and gets all wrapped up in. So she is. I wish they explored her more and. The character of Meadow really, especially on this rewatch, has really gotten into the way that she's, she is Tony's, true Tony's kid in a way that you wonder if Tony did die in that diner at the end right there with the closest of who she was marrying. She was marrying, uh, what do you call it? What's his name? Uh, one of the Barisis, not Phil, the Phil Bar No, I forget. She was marrying one of Tony's captain's sons. And they, I mean, they were lawyers and stuff, but if she witnessed and saw her father get killed in front of her. I wonder how far it would have taken her mind to shift to become, to, to, to use elements of that side of the world, knowing that she knew all those people really, really well and could have all the people on, on her button. I don't know. It's, I, I think they could have, they could have explored Meadow a little bit better in the series, but she's a very interesting character to me. Uncle Junior was so Uncle Junior. My first watch through was my favorite character. He he's so funny. He's so funny, but it gets does that get very depressing later on. 
and <laughs> I'm a mental midget. And when things get too depressing for me sometimes, it's tough to keep this bullshit going. <laughs> and when I get emotional, I get emotional. But yeah, that later junior stuff, late season, late series junior stuff is really difficult. The stomach sometimes. Patsy, thank you, Magically Delicious. P Philly was his brother that Tony killed. Patsy was the one that in the last season gets caught pissing, pissing on Tony's yard and stuff. <laughs> Not many shows like The Surprise just paved the way for Breaking Bad and other shows. Yeah, Kyle really was. We talked. I referred to this earlier, but it was the ship that brought over this kind of television to everybody. There's a lot of sh some shows like St. Elsewhere, fucking Oz. Deep Space Nine that did this kind of thing beforehand, but The Sopranos was really the vehicle that brought it to the masses and made, was the first brick in the wall of the, the renaissance of television that we live in right now, where there's just so much good television. There's still shit, but where I will make the strong argument and now I can finally say I'm right, because <laughs> I've always been a TV person, I like movies, but where I can finally say TV is where the good stuff's happening now. Movies are okay. Occasionally you'll get really great movies. But big blockbusters are what they are. It's popcorn sort of shit. It's, you, it's like flipped. Like television, these people, ah, television, it's not depth. It's blah, 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 blah. Now movies, it's like you go, I go to a movie or I will go to watch a movie for a good action-oriented time. I don't want to feel much except for excited while I'm watching it. Whereas TV, I want a huge experience. I want an emotional roller coaster from beginning to end. And I think Sopranos was the first show mainstream wise that really encompassed that history often told from the side of the victors but the villains it's just a hero on the other side hello sam and hello great to see you sam and great to be talking fucking soprano sam is one of the people that definitely kept on me through this ridiculous break <laughs> since february the last time we did the sopranos recap so it's really excited to be out here talking about this episode of the sopranos we are sort of winding things down a little bit here towards the end of this episode as tony eventually the feds at sopranos house they search warrants they don't find anything tony returns to milfi after missing a session thanks to the feds visit milfi announces that tony will be charged for a session he missed and this sets tony off he questions milfi would charge him if he's been in a car accident no answer the fucking question I've had this conversation with therapists before. I this is one of the things I don't like about therapy because I get you get confused when you talk and you share all your problems with these people. And, and I'm not saying anything against it. It's helpful. It's been helpful for me at points in time in my life. But I always reach a certain point where I end up yelling and getting to Tony Soprano like conversations with my therapist. Where what fuck you're gonna charge me? You know what I was going through, and you're gonna fucking charge me? You're deciding to pull doctor shit now on me? I'm such an asshole. And Tony has a freak out who Tony gets, we get to live every one of our therapist fantasies in the world through Tony Soprano. I've definitely used the line he uses in one episode where a therapist is prodding you about something and you go, I don't feel like therapy today. <laughs> and just walk out whistling. But Tony, and I've used this one. What, oh, it, you're just looking at me as a mark. You're just looking at me. You're treating me like you're a hooker and your time clocks up. You're going to charge me an extra session right now. And it's it's just interesting to me when I think part of it is probably her pulling rank with the medical stuff in that moment or the doctor stuff in that moment because of all the prodding that her family has been doing on her 
about keeping it professional with this guy. And she shouldn't be working with him and yada, yada. She, she, she's trying to stay by the book. But realistically speaking, I get where Tony's coming from in this one. I totally do. Not every time he freaks out of Milfie do I get it. Here, I totally get why he freaks out and yells at her. I'd have the same sort of reaction. You know what's going on, and you're going to charge me anyways? I warned you that this might happen. I even said I might not be at the next session. So you were prepared for it, and you're going to shake me down? I would, I would be so pissed off. Oh, great to see all of you guys. <laughs> Sopranos was one of the only three shows that I've seen that it hurt to have to wait for next week's episode in time really dragged on that was the thing about the Sopranos really is one of the last shows I remember doing that because it frustrated me so much waiting and then I remember that time between five and six and then between six a and six b was so long and you didn't know if you were gonna get any Sopranos and I remember sitting at bars night after night with people talking about will we ever get the Sopranos again and having arguments about where oh there was a report that we would get Soprano episodes not get Soprano episodes it was a it was a difficult time to be a television fan Yeah, exactly, Sam. It's just, I, I had a similar situation where I was going to a therapist and, not a similar situation, but I was going to a therapist and every time she was letting me go 50 minutes and she never told me anything about the time. She's like, you can talk, talk for 50 minutes. I'm like talking for doing my 50, 50 minute session. I come to one session and, and I was like, I got to talk about something. I have some shit I need to talk about. And she goes, okay, but let's deal with this other thing first. So we did dealt with the other thing first. Finally, I'm looking at the clock. I go, okay, cool. We got 10 minutes left. Let me talk about this other thing I need to talk about. And she goes, no, nope, we can't talk about this other thing. Actually, our time's up. And I go, no, no, we got, no, we got 10 more minutes. She goes, actually, your sessions are 40 minutes, not 50 minutes. I've always let you go 50 minutes. So I need you to leave now. And I was like, you need me to leave? What the fuck? You need me to leave? And I just freaked, I, I freaked out. I was like, I don't want to make another session. I was like, that you, you blah, 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 blah. I just had a like total freak out. And it's because in that moment, I thought she was my friend. You know, like you, you, you're convinced that people are your friends when you open up to them. And it, and it simulates that kind of feeling because you don't want to bother your friends with your stupid bullshit. So you're paying someone to bother them with your stupid bullshit. But then you forget that, and then they get pissed off when you call them out. You're like, okay, so I'm just a, you know, you're okay. Here's the money. Here, you want ten more dollars? Can I talk for ten more fucking minutes, please? It's funny. It's funny to me, and I like it. And uh, couldn't get into Lost for uh, made sure that I was home until the TV surprise. Rome, yeah, Rome. I've been going back and forth about canceling HBO until Game of Thrones come out comes back. Yeah. It, I'm lucky that I piggyback off of Joe's HBO Go, and I know Joe is moving soon, so I, so then we're probably going to, I'm probably going to have to get HBO Go during the Game of Thrones months, but I think I'm just going to pay for it during Game of Thrones months, and then and then not, because we ha I have the Amazon anyway, and most of the HBO shows, we see early seasons of them are on Amazon, blah, blah, blah. No one wants to hear about this bullshit. <laughs> But I've been thinking about refangling my whole cable thing too because prices are just getting astronomically expensive. I was thinking about looking into uh, was not Slingbox. Is it Slingbox? Yeah, Slingbox or PlayStation View or something like that and getting rid of DirecTV and getting apps to fill into it like the HBO Go and 
looking into how that compares to what we're playing for cable because we're playing some ass load of money and we don't even have all the channels and shit. It's it's like pathetic what we have or what we're paying. It's it's just a bu- busload of douchebaggery that's going on right now. It's like television stations are so afraid that they're going to lose out due to the streaming app type stuff that they're just jacking up the prices up and up and up again. Just dropping in to say, I wish you catch you back on Fear the Walking Dead and start watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Love you. Love you, Logan Ferguson. Great to see you. Never enjoyed The Sopranos, but have fun, Phil. Great to see you, Logan, and thank you for checking in. And I cannot wait to get back into The Walking Dead and in Fear the Walking Dead. I must admit, I'm way behind. I'd have to watch two seasons of it, and one day I will. And maybe we will talk about it again. Joe, now Joe's re- Joe would rather retire from the podcast and never talk about Fear the Walking Dead again. I've had that conversation with him. And uh, I've heard good things about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., especially this most recent season. Um, I watched it at the beginning and it didn't hook me. So, I mean, maybe I owe it a second chance. Okay, so Tony refers to Milfie after missing the session. Tony leaves that whole session. So we return to the first season. We get the small conversation between Livy and Junior while at a comedy show at Green Grove. We have major implications. This is a major point for everything to happen further on this season of The Sopranos. And in a lot of ways, a lot of things to come on The Sopranos. Junior talks to Olivia about, because Olivia is sort of his, his consulietti without being on paper. So Olivia just talks to Olivia about there being a rat in the crew. Olivia questions whether Tony knows about the rat and then reveals to Junior that Tony's seeing a shrink. Just, it's almost a similar conversation as AJ when, when AJ slips up and tells Olivia. His new Junior goes, a psychiatrist? What? A psychiatrist? What? A psychiatrist? What? And Olivia goes, Junior, you sound like a broken record. And and it gets into this intense, Livia, you know what I'm going to have to do? You know, you know, this means a lot. What was he talking to her about? And Livia's just like, I should never should open my mouth in classic Livia style. Let the fucking drop the fucking matzo ball down on the floor, splat. And then just go, oh, my God, did I drop that? What's wrong with me? La-di-da. Evil. So. So then the episode ends, which is uh, we get a we, that's what it was. It was a cake covering a Frank Sinatra song. And it's just a really great song. It's just an overall great episode that you need to watch a few times to kind of get a grasp of everything that's going on with the Christopher storyline. We get the Italian American storyline. We get the Milfi and family and the Soprano family storyline. We got the family with the FBI coming on in and all of that. And Junior finding out that Tony goes to a therapist. So that is our episode recap of The Sopranos, The Legend of Tennessee Maltesante. So let me try to get to a couple of fun facts about this episode while I read the motherfucking chat. Eric Nolan, Phil, just passing through. Hope you're doing good, brother. Eric Nolan, hope you're doing good, brother. Love you, Eric Nolan. And can't wait to start seeing you on my television screen again when Game of Thrones and Vikings comes back. Eric Nolan, love you, buddy. Great to see you. My Johnny was a saint, except when he was alive. How are you, Sammy, trying to catch more live sessions this season of Game of Thrones? Got away from me too crowded. Oh, great to see everybody back in there. And I agree, it definitely was a crazy season. Great to see everybody in. Great to see you guys on these Soprano streams. I'm excited to be back with them. And I'll try to get to doing these every couple of weeks, do another episode recap of some sort of the Sopranos. At least why, where the television seasons are still starting and 
and uh, things tend to pick up exponentially. We get The Walking Dead at the beginning, and then we'll get Vikings and Better Call Saul, and everything's happening all at once. So let me see. Trivia! 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 Let's get some fucking trivia. Play the music, you fucking motherfucking get some trivia now. Trivia time! Christopher, Michael Imploro, shoots the bakery clerk in the foot because he perceives him to be disrespectful and Goodfellas, the same character, gets shot in the foot. During the dinner scene, to illustrate the negative perception of Italian-Americans in America, Rick explains to Dr. Melfi that the Americans cite Goodfellas if asked about Italian. Bracco played Karen Hill in Goodfellas. Joseph J. Ganolowski appears at the bakery company customer as Gino. Oh, we already talked about this one. When Polly refers to Al during a discussion with Christopher about the devil's advocate, he means Al Pacino in a familiar shorthand manner. Other Samaritan characters, when they refer to prominent Italian Americas, refer to Francis Marty, Francis Albert, when last names are Coppola, Scorsese, and Sinatra. This is the first Sopranos episode directed by Timothy Van Patten. Overall, he directed 20 or more episodes, by far more than any other director in the series. An uncredited actress plays Big Pussy's wife, Angie, in this episode, as in the 11th episode of the season, eventually she would be re replaced by another actress. There are references in this episode to characters that Michael Imperial played in the past. Christopher shoots a counter man in the bakery foot, Spider in Goodfellas. Christopher tells Tony that he thinks he has cancer. Bobby in the Basketball Diaries dies of cancer. Tony tells Christopher he has cowboy-itis. Imperial already played a porno theater owner named Cowboy in Summer of Sam. Now, this is the first appearance of FBI agent Sam uh, Harris, played by Matt Servinto, who would appear throughout the series in a total of 25 episodes. And I think that's about it. Everybody, I want to wish you all a very happy weekend. Hope you guys will all have a great time. I cannot wait to be back doing episode recaps with Joe and Katie for The Walking Dead on October 23rd. But I'll be back a bunch more times in some impromptu kind of streams, some uh, some more of these Soprano recaps and some weekly updates on some other series that I am watching, some weekly roundups and other random stuff here and there. So thank you to everyone that's checked out this live stream. Got to thank all my friends in the motherfucking chat. If you, yes, they will be more regular, Sam. I'm going to try to get a couple a month. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do them maybe in bursts at times too, since they're going to be just me. So I'm going to be able to do them a little bit more to my own schedule. I'm going to probably do a bunch in a couple more in October. So I would prepare if you guys want to be ready to watch these, I would prepare and watch all of season one, the rest of season one episodes, but I would be prepared not this coming week, but the week after. So, um, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but uh, I have a friend coming in this coming week, my, Joe and I's good friend, Nick. So I'm probably not going to have too much podcasting time, but that second week in October, I will be probably doing the next Soprano episode if you guys want to prepare with episode nine, Boca, where uh, Uncle June's in the muff. <laughs> I mean, in the rough. So everyone, remember to eat your fucking chickens, guys. Fucking all of you guys. I love all of you in the motherfucking chat. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this Sopranos review, please hit the like button. Please hit the subscribe button. You can join the fun in the Discord group and stay in touch with everybody. If you can find the link to that in the description box below or the Friends of Phil on Google Plus group. It's also a Friends of Phil group on Facebook. 
excuse me, and just Phil's recap and review on Facebook as well. You can follow me on Twitter at I Got Issues Man. You can subscribe to the podcast when we get into our weekly recaps. We have an audio version of the podcast. I'm going to put out some exclusive content on that as well. So look for our audio streams on Stitcher and iTunes and all of those places. If you like what we do and want to support us, you can make a donation to, uh, via PayPal or set up some Patreon support. You can find the description box. The links to those in the description box below. Thank you to all of you guys for joining us in the live motherfucking chat today. You guys are fucking beautiful. Talk to you guys very, very soon. As I let me switch on this button right here so I can play some music and it won't sound like donkey balls. Which way should we go today? Let's go with a little. I played the I played this earlier so no it's t it's time for some time for some birth control and blood tests. Have a good night everybody. Talk to you soon.